Hello, and welcome everyone to Gilded Cast, the podcast that reimagines events that occur between the 1870s and the early 1900s. This is your host, Shelby Haggerton, and today we are switching up our structure a bit out of respect for our topic today. This podcast is usually designed to fit into three acts, the first act consisting of a brief introduction for our topic for the day, the second, a dramatic reenacting of the event, and the third, wrapping up what happened and how it led to a transition in history, with a discussion from some of our actors. Today, however, we will be looking at the history and then diving straight into some reflection. It's important we view history not as a series of events that were all destined to lead to our present day. This can lead us to make grave mistakes, as we attempt to make sense of the past because it leads to us comparing it to the present. This is important for us to remember as we look at more recent history, like what we are doing with this show. Today we are looking at a more sinister side of history, with the serial killer H.H. Holmes. Dr. Henry Howard Holmes owned a hotel in Chicago during the 1893 World's Fair Columbian Exposition. This hotel of his became known as the Murder Castle. He was eventually executed for the killing of a friend and accomplice in 1896, where he confessed to 27 murders. Backtracking a bit. When Holmes arrived in Chicago in 1886, he began working at a drugstore and eventually bought the place. However, after he purchased the building, his prior boss and wife mysteriously disappeared. And rumor has it that Holmes killed them. Holmes also purchased an empty lot across the street. Here he began construction on a two-story building. On the first floor it had retail shops, and on the second it had apartments. When he heard about the upcoming World's Fair, he added a third floor as a hotel portion for travelers coming to see the fair. However, the third floor was never completed. Architects were constantly fired during the making to ensure no one would know the finished design. Even though it was never finished, it was still absolutely terrifying. Rooms were soundproofed and hallways seemed to just trail off into nowhere. Rooms were soundproofed and hallways seemed to just trail off into nowhere. And there were shoots that would drop a victim straight into the building's basement. There, he had acid vats and a crematorium, along with a dissection table and medical tools where he would dissect the bodies before selling their organs and bones to the black market. His background in medicine came in quite handy as he sold many of the skeletons to medical labs and schools. Some rooms had hinged walls, others linked to passageways, and some were even connected to pipelines filled with gas, making the rooms airtight gas chambers. Had Holmes remembered to pay his furniture suppliers, his actions probably would have continued to go on unnoticed. However, when there was a search conducted to find the furniture, they found it in hidden rooms and passageways, leading to his arrest. Shortly after, an unknown arsonist set the place aflame. It was later largely rebuilt and turned into a post office. Holmes eventually left Chicago when insurance companies pressed to prosecute Holmes for arson. While in St. Louis, he concocted a plan to scam an insurance company out of $10,000, or $296,000 today, by taking out a life insurance policy on himself and then faking his death. When this fell through, his accomplice, Benjamin Patezel, agreed to fake his own death instead and give Holmes some of the money. Instead of Holmes finding a suitable cadaver in place of Patezel's body, he killed him instead. Holmes claimed to have knocked him out with chloroform and then set his body on fire. However, it is believed Patezel was still alive when he was burned, and the chloroform was added after to make it seem like he committed suicide. He then killed Patezel's two little girls after manipulating his wife into giving him custody of his three children. He locked the girls in a trunk, drilled a hole in the top, and pushed a hole through attached to a gas line and asphyxiated them. 
He then buried their nude bodies behind his rental home in Toronto. When he was finally put on trial for murder, with only the murder of his accomplice having the most evidence to actually find him guilty, he confessed to killing 27 other people. However, he made many controversial claims about the murders, sometimes saying he was innocent and other times saying he was possessed by Satan. He even wrote in prison that his appearance was changing, and after being convicted, he was beginning to look more like the devil. When he was hung, his neck did not snap. He was strangled slowly, and it took 20 minutes before he was finally pronounced dead. Prior to death, he asked for his coffin to be buried in cement so no grave robbers could dig him up and dissect him. Because of this, and the fact that he did not die immediately when hung, allegations arose that Holmes escaped execution, and in 2017 his body was exhumed. Due to his unnatural burial, he was mostly still intact. His clothing was preserved, and he even still had his mustache. He was then positively identified and reburied. And since we're changing today's format up a bit, we'll be back after a quick break and we'll hear some modern takes on H.H. Holmes from our guests Allie Boyd and Sean Dunn. Okay, so we're back. Let's have a quick discussion. So what are your initial thoughts on H.H. Holmes? Sean, if you want to go first. He's a bit of a mastermind in one of the worst ways, mm -hmm. you know. He found ways to manipulate a system or at least manipulate people. Those are the type of people, uh, people who know how to manipulate other people are the, are the ones who really know how to take advantage. The worst type of opportunists, you know. I kind of find this whole situation to be um very fascinating he confessed to 27 murders but he was suspect to kill over 200 people mm -hmm. that's what um and some of the the the, the suspect um kind of the idea that maybe he killed more kind of came out of mm -hmm. like pulp fiction yeah. actually during the 30s so um, a lot of that is more speculation and just we want to be able to sell stories. The 27 yeah. is probably closer to the number, but we can't really be sure. You won't ever really know. Um, but yeah, it's very fascinating to hear about um, serial killers like this and trying to get into, I guess, their kind of mindset. Because mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for us as emotional human beings to understand yeah what that's like and like in the media there's so many um there's so many like movies and documentaries on serial killers like this so 
Um, yeah, no, it, it's really interesting, this whole, I mean, this kind of fascination with uh, serial killers and, like, people of the sort, just to look at it from a perspective, like a regular person, like, how... How does that even work? I don't. I don't get that. How How do you get to that point? How do you? How, yeah. How do you yeah. get to that point? Even if born that way, mm -hmm. you know. How do you? How How can I sit there and try to imagine how you think and how you feel and why you do the things you do? H. H. Holmes. He He killed so many people, and in some ways, he blamed the devil for it. You know, mm -hmm. he has this religious alibi in air quotations, yeah. and. This I kind of want to bring up this point is where where do we find out? Is it a chemical, a lack of a chemical? Is it an increased chemical that causes people to feel it's like this? An or right an imbalance? Um, whereas back in the day it was like oh there's something wrong with him spiritually, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I don't know. It's a very interesting uh, thing to look at scientifically versus kind of this. Um, I don't want to say religiously, but like through this. Yeah, but there's definitely yeah. a switch in society where how, you know, if you look at witches and witchcraft, yeah. you say, oh, well, the woman who's speaking her mind and doesn't want to marry a guy, he's, well, you know, she's she's possessed by Satan. But, you know, and then you try to look at that now and she's like, oh, it's just independence. It's just a different way of thinking. So, I mean, and like looking at religion and science then and how we say, oh, well, at that time, H.H. Holmes was just possessed by the devil. That's like, that's his alibi. Now we'd say, oh, well, that's not backed up by science, per se. Yeah, and I mean, that whole thing with the witch trials. And mm -hmm. there's a big difference between this guy killed supposedly 27 people and this young teenager answered a math, a math question exactly. correctly. You know, yep. it's just, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a strange, strange situation. Mm -hmm. Religion gets tied into science. So we didn't do a typical reenactment out of respect for the victims, um, but many others have used this story as inspiration for films, TV shows. We mentioned a couple. American Horror Story is one of them. Um, very, There's many others that have looked at this story specifically. Um, so as conscious media creators, should we be recreating stories like this? I think that essentially it is okay to create stories like this. But to a point, you have to understand, um, you have to be respectful to the victims when you do mm -hmm. it. Because um, sometimes they don't always do it the right way. And if you look at serial killers, like, I could name off a whole ton for you. Like, we have this H.H. Holmes guy, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm -hmm. um, if you look just in the past couple years of people who have been in the media for killing people, you have Chris Watts. Yeah. Um... And, like, these names always pop in your mind, but you don't ever know the name of the victims. And sometimes the names are, um, they're, uh... Protected. Protected, so yeah. then you don't, like, look into that. But we kind of forget that this is things, like, that actually happen to real yeah. people. We forget that, um, people were brutally murdered and killed mm -hmm. and tortured in these situations and we need to pay attention to that especially when we're telling these stories and to not because sometimes in these like horror movies they make out of it they make the victims look very unintelligent very yeah um yeah just very just they don't ever go into the right direction to try and 
make the serial killer look better when in reality the serial killer is just a master manipulator and exactly it's let's it, it's easier to just make the victims look stupid yeah than to show the manipulation and that with they that were under. with that that's just bad writing yeah if we had better writers then they could actually go into that and show the manipulation um i actually recently watched the Ted Bundy movie. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. The extremely wicked, shockingly yeah. evil, and vile. Yeah, with Zac Efron. I think that movie did a fantastic job of I showing agree. manipulation. Because kind of how they did it was it was about him and his girlfriend Liz or Elizabeth or something. I think that was her name. Let me check. Um, yes, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And it just kind of went into, it was more of the story of their relationship. Mm -hmm. But if you were to watch the movie and you did not know anything about Ted Bundy, obviously you knew he was like a bad guy, like from just how the movie's marketed. Oh, yeah. But you kind of saw what she saw in him. Mm -hmm. You saw how easy he was to manipulate her because... He just showed himself as, like, a normal, everyday dude. He, yeah. He would go and, like, kill a bunch of people. He would come back to her and be completely normal. So it was just kind of a cover for him. So he was with, like, he essentially had a family, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. But it was a cover because he was killing all these women. Yeah. Um, it was just to make himself seem less yeah. likely as and the killer. they don't actually show Liz's reaction until mm -hmm. the end of the movie about because she found out about it obviously because he was put in jail Yeah. but she went up to him and she was like did you do this? and he was like well yeah, yeah. I did and oh it just gives you chills but I think that movie did a fantastic job of showing the, the how easy you can be manipulated by someone who is just inherently evil yeah and it's also you know it doesn't show all the victims and mm -hmm. you know it doesn't go in depth with the killings yeah. it's just okay he's a murderer and that's what you need to know mm -hmm. there is a level of tact that is obviously needed when you're discussing something that is basically a crime against humanity mm -hmm. you know one of the worst instances i ever thought about uh or I think is relevant to the situation is actually in a Katy Perry song. Oh. Um, the song Dark Horse, one of the lyrics is oh. eat your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Kesha did that same thing with her song Cannibal. Yeah. It, I mean, um, in a liter literary sense, it's clever, but like, I don't think people need to be, rem be reminded of what this person did all this time ago especially if the victims or families of the victims have to hear that on a pop radio exactly all day like mm -hmm. it's like i get it like he murdered people and one of those people was somebody i loved it's just like what's, think, what's going on here think about that with Dahmer because i mean he killed children mm -hmm. i mean you could be the parent and if you look now you know say there was somebody that was doing the same crimes that Dahmer did today which mm -hmm. i'm sure probably is occurring unfortunately um as much as we'd like to deny it yeah, but 
you know, you hear that on the radio and you're that parent. I mean, think about what that does to somebody to just have that constant reminder playing every 15 minutes after the next commercial break. Let's hear Katy Perry. It's just like, I don't know why you decided to add that in there, but I'm pretty sure not that many people are going to appreciate that. Or there's me, exactly. a select few, a select bunch of people who are going to see that as extremely offensive. Yeah. You know, that kind of brings us into our next topic here. Um, looking at violence in media, um, you know, specifically like video game violence and saying, oh, if you see it, it's going to make you more violent. Or does making light of these situations or... You know, showing these victims, does that just essentially make us numb to everything that we've been watching? You know, like, does that make us numb to violence and more susceptible to actually do it? I think especially in our day and age with media, it's different than when it was in the past, like in the uh, 20s through 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, cause since we've been growing up, we've always seen more violent things. So I do yeah. think we've, we have come, become a little numb to it. Like looking back to the first few films ever made, one of the first films was, uh, I don't forget what it was called, but it's basically a video of a train coming in. Yeah. Um, when people, the rumor, the rumor goes, when people first saw that, um, the first ever moving picture. They were afraid because they thought there was an yeah, actual was, train coming out. It was the them. great train robbery. Yeah, so kind of seeing like manipulated images, um, we're more used to it. And kind of with one of the first horror films, Nosferatu, mm-hmm. people saw the like really long like nails yeah. and long um, weird shadow and they were just scared out of their minds because... They had never seen something so terrifying we before. We see that, and that's something we would yeah. see any other day. Because I remember when we all watched Nosferatu for the first time, and it's just we're just numb to things like that because we see we see much scarier things we in the media see it all the time. More, it's clever now. I mean, violence is kind of something we're numb to, something yeah. that we feel like is ex- I shouldn't say expected in our life, but it's something that is going to be. A kind of a constant like almost a theme you know we've grown up where we see mass shootings all the time on tv you know it's just oh it's another shooting you know we just we've grown up in an atmosphere where that's just i mean it's not acceptable but we see it all the time so we just Mm -hmm. become numb to all the violence it's it's hard to it's hard to see some to see news about people multiple people getting shot and killed and Mm -hmm still being able to hold on to this feeling of like disgust and it's like once you've gotten used to it it's like i i i don't know why i feel so indifferent to this it's yeah. just happened so much i feel like it's it's a it's another tuesday yeah, no. yeah no i think that this was definitely a good conversation for today and a pertinent one for sure um definitely food for thought for future discussions so We're going to cut it off for today, and thank you all for listening to The Gilded Cast, and thank you to our guests, Sean Dunn and Allie Boyd, and we'll be back at it again next week.